0: Well, I'm looking forward to the the conversation we're having today. You know, I used to work on uh, some some kind of similar software, or at least I was reading through the docs for the Tanzu uh, for Tanzu Mission Control and I came upon the part that had a discussion of rbac and I was like, "Ah, oh, yes. I remember back in back in uh, when when I when I was a programmer having to implement rbac for the 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 management software I was working on. And it's it's always thrilling to meet my friend our back and get a distinction of like, you know, the, uh, the groups of people belong in the users, all of the thinking that goes into, uh, setting up the right permissioning for stuff. And, uh, that's perhaps, well, I'm sure there's, there's several thousand people who, who are, you know, developers and work in this space, but it's, it's always nice to like, uh, you know, get excited about permissioning
1: systems and, and, and you're that. setting those up as a developer.
0: Yeah, well I used to I used to work on like uh uh you know way, way back when, like some systems management stuff. And right. uh, you know, in 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 like, you know, one of the early versions of our software, of course, we had to uh implement not just hard-coded security groups, but actual like, you know, RBAC stuff to integrate with the Active Directory or whatever wacky system you might have. Right. Which uh, you know, it's inexplicable that it's some sort of memory lane to go down.
1: But anyways. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, (laughs) thanks for that trip down memory lane. Uh, My name is Corey Dinkins. I am a technical marketing uh, architect for VMware Tanzu. And I guess to translate that into real world terms, that just means, you know, I show you how to do cool things with the products. So instead of showing you how to build the skis, you know, I'm showing you how I can do cool jumps with it and, you know, Mm. flips and all that good stuff, right? So all the fun things.
0: That's right. And, and, uh, uh, I suppose if we were to continue, continue the metaphor out, you can, uh, you kind of hang out at the the bottom of the hill in the, the club, the lounge, right. the lodge with the cool and, guys, right? <laughs> sure. And, and, you know, whoever, whoever is recovering from uh, the ski patrol, helping them out, you know, to, to figure out what's going on there. I, I don't know how far we can carry this. I'm not actually a big, uh, skier. Snow or, it, though. Or water. You, you hit the end of it there. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh there's there's uh there's a new version of uh Tanzu Mission Control out. So I thought, you know, it'd be a good time to kind of just check in and, and see what's going on there. And uh I mean, first of all, uh like like what is Tanzu Mission Control? Like give us an overview of like like the features that it has, what it
1: does, like what uh what it's trying to solve basically. Sure. And I'll I'll try and give you the the summarized version because I could really be here probably for the rest of the podcast if I wanted just listing out everything it does. So Sure. I think we'll hit some of the more high level points that I, I care about. Um, you know, just a quick side, you know, sidebar as to my background, you know, prior to this marketing role, I was a a systems admin, slash platform engineer, slash, you know, everything else under the sun when mm. it came to networks and managing the help desk for the companies that I worked at. So my framing for a lot of this is kind of like, how would I have used this tool in my past jobs to really like get my job done? So that's kind of how I approach this kind of, you know, tool when I explain it. So I think to get into what mission control actually does, um, the whole point of it is to help users manage their Kubernetes clusters Uh, because right now it's it's a pretty big big challenge for a lot of people. Uh most of it is still done with command line. Most of it is still done with a lot of YAML files. And for people that are coming from like the vSphere type background and maybe they're Windows admins and aren't quite used to as much command line, and I know there's a lot of people using PowerShell out there, so I don't wanna I don't wanna forget that community, but there's still a lot of people that aren't into command line, right? So beyond that, there's still a lot of people that aren't quite sure of. They're kind of intimidated by Kubernetes, right? Because they keep hearing it's this new big thing that it's everywhere and it, you know, it does all this stuff for them. They just don't quite get, you know, what it's doing or how it's getting there. And so we won't dive into all that. But you know, I guess the way I look at it is they're just really small VMs, right? And there's just a bunch of them. So, right. The point of uh, Tanzu Mission Control, again, is to to really help you manage these clusters in such a way that you don't really need to go in to command line and helps you structure things in such a way that you can kind of use the set it and forget it type model. Um, you know, I like to think of Active Directory as a good, like, mental model for how Mission Control structures all of its internal resources. So... The way that you primarily group objects is that you have cluster groups, and I think the name is pretty obvious, right? Like you can group up clusters and you can do things with those. And for a lot of companies, what the the cluster group view is for is more like the platform ops slash platform engineering type role. Mm. So, you know, really focused on the users that are going to manage the infrastructure, um you know, define policies for those. So things like security policies, uh, can we have pods running as root? Um, You know, where do we want our images to come from? Should it only be a trusted registry? You know, do we want Bitcoin miners coming from the Docker registry? Probably not, you know, so (laughs) doing little things like that. Um, Even as simple as this is a commonly overlooked problem, but just disallowing the latest tag, like, a lot of people don't realize how many issues that's caused in production environments where you know admin doesn't check they just leave the latest tag on a deployment and a big update breaks everything right so i've seen it i don't know if you have but it's it's not uncommon so, so right a, because you have this like have. like uh you have this unplanned potentially
0: unexpected just like new thing enters to grossly simplify it. And, uh, you know, you would like the chance to verify that it works with what you have <laughs> instead of it just automatically deploying.
1: Yeah. that That's the ideal. Exactly. That's the ideal scenario, right? Test it before you deploy it, make sure things don't break. I mean, pretty standard stuff. So, um, so you can apply all those to, to your cluster groups. Um, you can even have, uh, specific policies that are called, uh, mutation policies where, they kind of are one step above the standard security policy that just denies workloads and says, "Nah, you know you don't have the right properties. You know this is denied." This will actually take the workload in, and it will configure the settings that you've defined, and inject those into the workload YAML. So, a, a good example of that is developers, a lot of times don't necessarily care about like run as users, security context constructs, things like that. They just want to build their app, send it on and get results right and test the app essentially. So the security teams or operations teams can define you know, default run as user, default um, you know, do I want to allow pods to run as root? You can configure all these settings and when they submit the workload YAML, if those are not present they will automatically be added to that and present when the workload arrives. So Mm you know, kind of removing the burden at lower levels to have to fill out these YAML manifests. We're like, oh, you know, we got Joe Kubernetes who accidentally added a tab instead of, you know, four spaces again and broke everything, you know, like we don't have to worry about little issues like that. And they can, you know, developers can focus on just doing development stuff, right? Like kind of getting out of the security game if they don't need to be. So, um, so, those are some of the things that you can do. And and there's a few other different policy types that you can apply. Um, But what I wanted to go over next is the other construct that you can also use to kind of group your different clusters together. And the, the construct's called workspaces, and it gives you the ability to group different namespaces together across different clusters. So, for example, if you have an application, we'll just say application A and that's your line of business app. You can have an application A namespace across a cluster in your vSphere environment on-prem. You can have it running in, you know, Amazon, EKS. You can have it in Azure, et cetera. And this workspace will group together all those clusters and you can apply an access policy to that workspace. So a developer can say, or not a developer, but a developer would then get access to all of the namespaces within that workgroup across different clusters, right? And that essentially allows you a way to authenticate one time against an endpoint, and you're able mm. to then interact with all the different clusters in your environment that you have access to. So you no longer have to pull down a bunch of cube configs and you know, switch context a whole bunch. So it, it's a pretty... And I guess to clarify, right, this is more of an application operator slash like developer type view where you would generally generally grant them access to these namespaces so they can deploy things, right, or do things, troubleshoot, check logs, etc. So just those two groupings alone offer you quite a bit of flexibility as far as like how you can structure your environment or even how you can mirror, you know, Tanzu mission control to meet your existing environmental settings right and and kind of how your existing model you know your i guess resource model works yeah
0: yeah so so let me that i let me try to 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 rephrase back to you a lot of what you've been saying there because i think i think there's there's something interesting i hadn't really thought of before and that is well so first of all you got you got uh you're, you're running your kubernetes stuff here and you've got some developers who are going to be running their applications in it and like At a minimum what's required there and not required for like hygienic good practices but just to achieve that goal is (laughs) you know the the developers need to have like basically have made a bunch of container images of what their application is and then they're going to have a lot of configuration a lot of yaml that basically says yeah exactly they basically says here's how you take these containers and and the developer is talking to jane kubernetes i guess this is joe kubernetes talking to jane jane kubernetes. or joe you know who yeah sure j kubernetes and uh and basically the developer says all right in in all of this yaml this is describing how i want you to take these containers and deploy them uh into the cluster you know the terminology gets a little loosey here but deploy them into the overall runtime environment and here's here's how they'll communicate with each other. Here's the permissions that they have. Here's the how they connect to databases, so forth and so on. Right. Yep, exactly. So everyone who has uh, uh investigated Kubernetes for you know three to five minutes knows that there's a lot of YAML and no one likes that. Yep. <laughs> right? It's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> right. And and you know, it it is like it is a it it is almost an interesting peculiarity, I think, of Kubernetes that this YAML is both the configuration and to some extent, like the API for how to interact with it, which, which, uh, I always find bizarre that you wrap those things together, but whatever, no one, no one asked me to be involved and I did not volunteer either. Uh, so, uh, and so that's, I think where a lot of the complexity comes from. So in a, uh, in even you don't have to be that large of an organization, right? But in kind of any size organization where you're trying to not have one team do everything, and especially in much larger organizations, you want to make sure that uh, people are not only following best practices, but also not like creating problems through just not
1: knowing what they're doing. Single point of failures, Michael. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's right, Exactly. <laughs> not a good thing. And so even though this, uh, you've got this peculiar, at least to me, like YAML thing, what it affords you is this opportunity that before, a de- well, not before, but when a developer goes to J Kubernetes and says like, here's, here's my, here's my application made up of images and stuff. And here's the configuration in the YAML you can kind of give that over, over into like, you know, Tanzu mission control land, whatever the kind of port is there. And what's going to happen is that the people who are running Kubernetes and trying to uh, uh, defeat the single point of failure, so to speak, essentially they're given the chance and, and not manually, but like, this is all what what ends up happening is they've established some policy as, as you were saying about like, you know, uh, what kind of security rights are done, how things are configured, so forth and so on. And because of that nature of YAML, basically you can just go in and like not only add to what's in the YAML, but you can kind of like modify it and mess around with it and make sure that how you want things to be configured, the way you want applications to run in Kubernetes are like enforced. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and and that's cool. that's kind of like the nice part. That is one of the nice parts about the the api as plain text file (laughs) nature of kubernetes is you're given all these points as as people who are running kubernetes to like make sure it's running well
1: and in the policy that you've set up yep and kind of where that comes into play right is when you're looking at doing kind of securing an environment right lowering blast radius for breaches and If you're designing an application, it's generally best practice to have, you know, you have different run run as users for your web app as you do for your database app, right? So being able to architect an application in such a way where you're saying, you know, all of our web applications, we ensure always get this specific run as user. They always get this, you know, FS group. Mm, Right. You're really able to start to do things like, wait a second, why is a web username trying to app access app, you know, like database data. Like we have, we have a serious problem here, right? Like little things like that you can use as very big indicators of, you know, greater issues throughout the org. So, right. It, it's kind of an important point to be able to, I guess, understand what you are expecting and what you know something should be, right? So that you yeah. can track what happens with it as a result.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an interesting point too, that you're given the chance to like inspect what the configuration is, yeah. <laughs> essentially. And, and pati- particularly as you're going over, like, you know, in, in, the, in the second part of your saying, right, like, this ability to modify, change, or, or you just set the configuration means that you have, as long as the developers haven't done some wacky thing, like hard code things, or hide what they're doing from you, like, you essentially have the the ability to have full control over all of your permissioning and the security things you would care about because exactly. you can go in there and set things and, uh, and, and make them work well, which, uh, all right.
1: So that makes sense. If, yeah. if I'm not talking crazy. No. And, and I think the other point here is right. Is you can do all this through the GUI, right? This doesn't exactly. have to be with YAML. Doesn't have to be with CLI. You can, those are all options, but you know, again, this is kind of like AD for clusters where you can go in define your policies, set it one time. And and kind of to your point about, like, you know, I guess you being able to utilize the different Kubernetes constructs and, and existing stuff there to, to work for you. You don't even have to scope your policies to individual cluster groups or workspaces. You can just use, um, like, labels if you would like to. So mm. you can exclude stuff based on label. You can include it based on label. So... If you really wanted to, you could set things just at one organization level and just have them apply based on label types, right? Right, right. And 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 you know, you're you're highlighting a very important thing again at like
0: when you start managing a lot of Kubernetes or a lot of anything. <laughs> even which is, three. Like even yeah. more than
1: three. I, I talked to someone at uh, you know, Explore last year and you know, I, I they kind of were like, What is this product? What does it do? You know, and I explained it to them and they're like, Wow you know it takes me anywhere between you know 5 to 8 hours to set up a new cluster and you know we only have 5 of them right right so you know multiply that as they grow you can imagine this person's like oh my goodness like i have i've got a road in front of me right that i have to to walk down and it's it's going to be tedious right right
0: and no and and as 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 we were saying that's that's where the the concept of being able to group together clusters and you know Also like, you know, treat, I mean, I mean, having, having the, uh, the, uh, the, the nesting eggs go up (laughs) so that you can deal with things as an administrator and aggregate and groups and name them. And then also, also like the flexibility of, of adding tags or labels. So like, I mean, anyone who's worked with something where you can tag things, it's just another angle to slice things up, uh, basically. And it's a necessity. And then, yeah, in this case, apply policy to it. Uh. Yeah. Okay. So we've got that, that policy enforcement going on. Like what what else? Uh, and, and again, the fact that it's, it's, it's in a, a UI, like what, what are some other, what are some other components of, of Tanzu mission control?
1: Um, I think for me, the two biggest, I'd say, quote unquote, well, three. So we, we hit one, which is RBAC and policy. That, that for me is huge. Um, I think the second one is being able to utilize Flux continuous delivery under the hood. So Hmm. we have integrations with Flux where you can configure this for individual clusters if you would like, or cluster groups. And what that will allow you to do is, and I guess we'll pause briefly for those that don't know what Flux is. So it's a continuous delivery tool that you connect to a Git repo. It inspects the repo and pulls down all the YAML objects that you have there, and it will do... I want to say do things with those YAML on the cluster. Um, (laughs)
0: That's a good technical phrase.
1: Yeah, because it can be install a package. It can be create a config map, right? It can be any, a number of different things. And as long as it's a native Kubernetes object, it can be ingested. And yes, the, the other part that powers this engine is the customized engine that's with a K. So essentially you know, Flux will synchronize these YAML files and then it will reconcile them against what is running in the cluster. So if you make a change to one of those YAML files, that change will get reflected in the cluster after a certain, you know, synchronization period of time. So what you can really do with this, if you, you know, kind of expand this to your operations and how you can actually use this in the real world, a pretty common example that I would look at using this for is, you know, I want my logging agent on every cluster that I deploy. So whether it's prod, dev, test, whatever, I need this logging agent on it. Now, the the level of logging on that might be different per level, so I might only set it debug in the, the dev environment and, you know, something else in the other other environments. But, you know, you can essentially define, you know, applications settings or sets of configurations that get applied to groups of clusters so any cluster you move into that group or any new cluster that's created in that group will then assume or receive all of these new settings or packages that you've defined for it so you can define ingress controllers um yeah you know, there there's a number of different things you could do and you know another common example i would use is probably you know, if you want to have ingress controllers that reside in multiple different regions, right? So we'll just say you have one in the US, you have one in Europe, et cetera. You can configure that group in such a way that any new cluster added to it automatically gets ingress. And so you can turn up new regions much quicker than you would have been able to if you have to manually like apply all these settings and Mm. test them and configure them, et cetera. So, you know, there's there's quite a bit of power in being able to just define these different groups and apply these different sets of configs or applications to them based on those groupings
0: yeah and it kind of as uh, you know to to uh add to what you're saying there right like you know i get, I get you know the word policy often seems like uh, overloaded rules <laughs> right yeah, like yeah. like here's here's rules and constraints but it can also mean like defaults so to speak, just like, as you're saying, like whenever, you know, a new cluster comes up, here's how we want ingress set up. And like, that's the policy that we have, (laughs) which is just like the default, how we want things to run. And, you know, I, I think also, you know, what you're getting there to there with, with like flux is like, so if you like this, like continuous delivery idea and this idea of like GitOps, where you kind of just like, Basically say this is what, the, and, and, you know, and, and of course you put it in your, in Git or whatever, or your, your image repository, but, you know, it's at the end of a, of a, of a, of a, of a pipeline. And now here's the state that I want production to be in. And essentially that's what, you know, you can, you can hook that up to everything and have it just sort of magically be deployed into Kubernetes. I guess it's not really magic. It, it's, it's, it's not, but <laughs> yeah. But I, I, and, and, you know, that's the other thing that I think is, is, is interesting about kubernetes is built into it is this idea of like you, you don't have to like turn it off and turn it back on to deploy something new it's more of yeah. just like you know i i'm sure you, you can tune this however soft or hard you want it to be but it's like as things get updated add a new agent to it right or or you know you can force the config to go out but like it in theory it should enable you to do kind of rolling upgrades 100%. more or less effectively, right? Which, which is great. It just means that you, uh, you have better availability and uptime if you, again, as always, if your applications are written appropriately to, <laughs> right. to know like, oh, here's the new version and here's the old version I can cope, right? As, as the upgrade, uh, pans out there. But you know, that's, it's good to pull all that together into one, uh, sort of, uh, thing instead of having to cobble it together yourself. So what, 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 what else? Since that was, you know, we're
1: doing the uh, Corey's personal favorites. Of yeah, that's, th- that's that's one of them for sure. Um, yeah. And to your point, right, like normally to to achieve what we're talking about, you have to go to the CNCF website, right? Look at their landscape. I don't know if you've looked at it, but it's, it's pretty big. There's a lot of stuff on it. So you have to go and pick and choose which of those components you want. You have to manually configure them and deploy them. So you know, what we're offering is, is a pretty significant time saver over what you would be looking at of just manually piecing all these components together.
0: Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. You know, the, the word I've started to like use in my head is, uh, is things are integrated, right? Like it's, it's like you could, inter- like you have to integrate all this stuff already. Cause there's so many, you know, there's almost too many choices. You could also look at it as, as like, oh, there's so many options.
1: <laughs> paralysis <laughs> what,
0: analysis. Whatever type of functionality I want, it, you know, I, it's available. It's the classic, uh, I forget who wrote this up, but in the nineties, there was the analysis of like American consumer culture that like, there's too much cereal and yep. you just get overwhelmed by the choice. Uh, but, but, you know, I think, I think there's a tremendous amount of value, especially, people who are just operating uh, platforms of infrastructure of just like, it'd be cool if this stuff was just integrated together instead of be having to do it. And I think even like, even like having someone else make that decision, I always envision it saves
1: you a lot of annoying meetings where you debate what you should do. It does. (laughs) I mean, it it really does because we've seen year over year the state of Kubernetes report that we publish. Like, DIY tooling is on the way out. People are over it. They're over having the single point of failure of J. Kubernetes. is, you know, they manage the tooling and they're the only one that seems to know how all this stuff works, right? And like, we can't, companies can't have that, right? Like, that's just not a, a, a way of operating efficiently. So, yeah, I think it's an important thing to to really get under control. And I'd say... Yeah. A point that a lot of people kind of miss too is when it comes to like training up teams and like, you know, junior members of teams and help desk teams to like support and like be able to help like spread the load right across teams. This this GUI methodology is a way that users can actually do quite a bit of Kubernetes stuff without ever touching a CLI, right? Mm. Like if, if they really wanted to, you can have a runbook that walks them through adding a, a flux repository that adds your debug tracing tooling right they don't have to know kubernetes really they just have to know how to input a couple directories and you know a couple of values for a git repo but they can then become part of your troubleshooting process and and team process of hey before we escalate this all the way up to you know engineering or you know these higher levels we can do these things prior to doing all of that, right? And and get to a resolution hopefully quicker. So So,
0: so tell me, you know, uh I, I want I want to get to the 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 newest version like the of of uh Tanzu Mission Control. What's fun about that? But tell tell oh, yeah. me the, the the other things that just uh we we haven't uh gone over yet. Just kind of give us a little
1: preview for everyone who wants to dig into it more. What are sure. the major
0: the other major areas?
1: I'd say other major areas to look at are, so we we have support for the Bitnami Helm app catalog. So the public catalog that you see at bitnami.com is fully available through and within the Tanzu Mission Control GUI. So you can deploy Helm charts to any cluster that's in your environment, right? That's pretty simple and pretty powerful, I think, because you can do it through the GUI. You You do have to configure some YAML depending on the app, the package but you know I think that's another um, huge step forward and you can also deploy those helm charts to a cluster group if you would like so Mm. the next iteration is here so we'll hopefully be allowing you to do that with the Bitnami public app repo but that's coming soon so I'd say that's another uh, good area to look out for and then the data protection we've got a lot of Great features coming out for that, and a lot of new functionality. So that's a space that I would keep keep my eye on because we're going to be having some pretty cool announcements soon.
0: And then, so so, what are the the types of Kubernetes that are supported?
1: Um, so as far as lifecycle management goes, the Tanzu Kubernetes distribution is fully supported, and Amazon EKS. Any other CN CF conformant distro? Supports all of the other functionality, um, or rather, mission control supports all the other functionality within it. Mm, right. Except for lifecycle management. Right. Right. Okay. So if if it's a CNCF conformant cluster, you can do all the things except lifecycle manage. If it's Tanzu Kubernetes or Amazon EKS, you can lifecycle manage and do all the other stuff. Mm. Is it? Is that because like lifecycle
0: management is not part of kubernetes and so it's 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 like
1: unique to each of each of the different like services or distros so extra work is needed for that it is yeah um and you know vmware has tried to help smooth some of that out by contributing the cluster api and cluster class like i guess we'll just say code to the kubernetes um you know official code base and so that was one way that we're trying to essentially address that disparity between cluster types so yeah Hopefully that will help smooth some of that out, but well, we'll find out in the future where we all shall um, live. Yeah. So, okay. All right. So tell us, tell us about the new version. Yeah. So I guess one of the, the most important things that I want to talk about is the new version that's coming out. Um, the existing version is completely SaaS based and it's hosted in Amazon AWS. And for some of our customers and companies that either are a competitor to Amazon Or they have, you know, data sovereignty laws that are local to that country. Um, You know, there's a whole number of reasons why many companies just said, sorry, we would really like the package version. Rather, we need the package version. So once that's available, let us know and, you know, we'll take a look at the product, right? So we've had a lot of companies that just we couldn't really service as customers because of how the product is built and, and operated, essentially. So as a, as a SaaS as a SaaS software yeah you know? yeah and so that has just changed and we're looking at offering a package version we're well, not looking at but we'll be offering the package version of the software and you'll be able to install it in the environment of your choice so whether that's air gapped whether that's in your private data center um basically outside of Amazon if you'd like to inside of Amazon you know it's really going to be up to you but the point is download it, deploy it where you want it, manage Kubernetes with it, right?
0: Yeah. No, and, and like you're saying, it is, uh, well, especially if you've, uh, I don't know,
1: to put it in a super corny
0: way, if you've got your head up in the clouds, like it's, it's, uh, it's often astonishing how many people are just like, there's just a brick wall of running something uh, in, in, in the cloud. And, you know, often for good reasons, sometimes for evolving reasons, but it's it, essentially like there's, uh, you know, why, why, why limit the functionality? But yeah, I mean, I've, I've already, I've already talked with, uh, several people who are, uh, very thrilled about the option to be able to, uh, do things, uh, on premises or, you know, under, under their own control. And I think, you know, the whole, you know, the point of it being an easier way to manage things rather than having to handcraft stuff, right? Like that just, uh, that means having it available to, as wide amount of people as possible is is great because everyone
1: wants things to be easier. They do, and that was one of the challenges. Is again, you know, some companies just their their laws just say they can't run stuff where our stuff is hosted. I mean, I don't right. know if what the laws look like in um, where you're at, Michael, but I'm I'm sure they've got their own data data sovereignty laws, you know, for their citizens and companies that operate across these you know, national borders or international borders. It's very difficult for them to try and solve this like data locality issue. And in many cases, it was very expensive. So I think, you know, one of the other components of this self-managed release is that this is going to become part of the sovereign cloud providers offering that we have here at VMware. So a good example is companies that, you know, operate out of EMEA, right? Most of them, if they're operating in multiple countries, they need to have data data services and you know data retention local to those countries. And in many cases, what they're looking to are these sovereign cloud providers of those different you know countries. So soon these cloud providers will be able to say, "Hey, we now have a version of Tanzu Mission Control that we can offer you. We guarantee it's local, you know data localities here. Data sovereignty is met and, you know, you're able to meet these regulations that you're re- required to abide by. Um, I think as we saw with Facebook, they got dinged, what, $1 billion or something for <laughs> for not right. following those exact laws. So it, it's really not it's something that companies can't ignore, right? They just can't afford to. Can't afford to just ignore it and do nothing, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean the way I always think about it, right, is like, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think in the tech world and 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 the cloud world right like we have a very uh let's say american centric view <laughs> and so it like is. it's 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 easy just to be like ah it's the public cloud whatever but you know it's it's always a a, a good thought exercise if it see if if sovereign cloud concepts seem weird like one to like rethink it in your mind of like you would like to control the jurisdiction that you you operate it right and because that's how jurisdictions and the law works. (laughs) Like, like you have this agreed upon set of laws and regulations that you're cool operating under versus not. And then, and then the other thing is like, well, you know, there's probably plenty of like uh, American companies that really like it that their stuff runs in America. They just don't have to think about it. (laughs) Right. Because it's already there. So it's like, you know, the whole notion of like sovereign cloud stuff is perfectly understandable because like you want stuff, under your jurisdiction, you know, the, the one, the one that you've agreed to operate in. And of course, as you point out, like there's also legal requirements, but that's, that's just the same side of the same thing. Uh, so it's nice to, uh, have, have that flexibility. Well, great. Well, is there anything else, uh, you think, you think we've skipped over that, uh, would be good to put out there?
1: Um, make sure to register for VMworld, (laughs) VMworld goodness gracious. VMware Explorer—it's coming up in August. Um, I'll be out there in the booth, so if anyone wants to stop by and talk about infrastructure and clusters and Tanzu Mission Control, come and find yeah. me. Yeah, get some demos. Are you going to be at the uh, Barcelona one? I'm not sure if I'll be there yet, but definitely we'll be in Vegas, so we'll be doing demos and all the things. Demos in the desert—that's that's what we need to think of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, and uh, so so, how could people just like uh, look up
1: and kind of like see how Tanzu Mission Control works? So you can go to the VMware website, uh, tanzu.vmware.com slash mission dash control. And there's information on there for how you can access the hands-on labs that we have. There's other uh, content like blogs that you can see. And then if you're looking for just technical information on how to use Tanzu Mission Control, I've written a number of different blogs and articles on our Tanzu Tech Zone website. So things like how to build API commands for it, um, you know, how to do automation with Flux, you can find all of that there. So
0: check it out. Perfect. Well, great. Well, that, that was fun. Thanks for going over that and, and uh, putting up with some slight education of me. Oh, I'm happy <laughs> i happy to. Yeah, yeah. That was good stuff. Well, as always, you've either watched the video of this or uh, listened to it in podcast form. And uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast uh, or find, I'll put links to many of the things we mentioned. You can go to tanzutalk.com and uh, look that up, put it in your your podcast subscriber. I don't even know what they're called nowadays. And uh, listen to it in your ears while you're doing whatever you're interested in. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.